setting up shop. Hello everyone and welcome again to Setting Up Shop, the Maker Journey podcast where we talk about taking your hobby through to the professional level and we give you some of our own anecdotes on the way. So I'm Dan, I'm a woodworker from the UK and with me are Heidi Jacobs, a ceramicist from America and Rasmus Lowenstein-Skard, a blacksmith from Norway. I nearly got his name very wrong yeah. there and I probably still did. Uh, it's close <laughs> enough for comfort. Close, close enough for English people, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> How are you both this time? I'm good. I'm good. Can't complain. Good. So this is episode five, I believe, uh, officially. It's the sixth recording, but the first one being the introduction. No. No? It's the fourth number, fifth recording. Well, there you go. I'm not very good with numbers, which is something that's always bad when you're uh, when you're trying to run a business. That's always something to mention as well. We will discuss that <laughs> in a future episode for sure. Um, hopefully you've all enjoyed the journey so far uh, you're finding it helpful certainly from the feedback that we will have received uh, we have already had some and a lot of people are enjoying it and finding it helpful at the moment this is the time really when i should mention those of you who have emailed in those of you who have messaged us please don't be upset if we haven't mentioned anything yet we are pre-recording these podcasts main reason we're doing this is because all three of us are going to go exceptionally busy when it comes towards the Christmas season. So we have pre-recorded a season so it can be released up until then and we can then speak about all of the inquiries and things if we haven't already individually replied to you on next season's podcast. I just thought I should mention that now as people have probably already started to message in and uh, might get upset if we don't talk about anything. So we're not ignoring you guys. It's just a pre-record and then we'll follow on in the season in the new year. So this week, what we're going to talk about, we've called it preparing your shop. We're talking mostly about going to your first market and kind of the things to take along with you, how to display it, some tips and tricks that we've got there, and also how to... <laughs> how to get around some potential bad conversations you might have or bad experiences you might have, whether that be with customers, other traders and all that kind of stuff. But none of it should be too heavy, so no trigger warnings as far as I'm aware. So first of all, we're going to talk about what you should bring to a market. Some of this is going to be really obvious and others not so much. And some of it's going to be very much dependent on the type of market you're going to. So for instance, if it's outdoors, there's going to be a different set of requirements from if you're managing to get a pitch inside a hall somewhere or something like that. Heidi, what would you say are the first three things you should make sure you always take with you? Well, can we just say like, obviously the product is, is you know, number one, right? <laughs> Stock is number one. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So the first three things aside from the obvious product is your setup. So tent, table, chair, how you're going to market your tent. So... I would also make sure that I had a, some kind of signage, that kind of thing that that would bring people to my tent. And then the third thing would be water. Lots of water. <laughs> for drinking, we're assuming. Yes, for drinking. Uh, just in case, just covering. Wasn't, yes. wasn't entirely sure whether you used it <laughs> to make some special way to make like your ceramics shinier or something like some bizarre no, trick no. that we weren't aware of. Okay, no, that's fine. So it's interesting that you've lumped a few things in together. I'm actually going to be quite controversial, and this is a Ooh. subject that I'm, I know some people will speak about. Chairs at a market store. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I have opinions too. You are, you are going to be there for 
the whole day and if you're not fortunate enough to have someone who can come along with you so you can sort of spot each other when going to the toilet or wandering around or just needing a break or whatever we originally had the whole kind of folding up camping chairs at ours there is nothing more kind of off-putting to me than walking near a craft stand and happening to see someone sat in a fold-up camping chair which is lower anyway than the table and you happen to walk up when they're on their phone so there's there's like no engagement Mm. so I bought us, still fold up, still easy to transport, but we just bought the little like triangular stools. So it, it makes you, you, like you can't slump in it because if you try and slump, you just fall backwards off it. So you can still take the weight off your feet right. and you can still rest, but you, you kind of have to sit upright and you have to be kind of, yeah, okay, you might still look at your phone and whatever. That's That's a whole other subject matter. But I personally went down the kind of the stools route rather than the chairs route purely from encouraging a postural kind of hey look we can still be engaged with and we're still here i like that and i i I were going to say something along the same lines maybe even to the effect of getting something near like the height of a bar stool so that you are almost standing yeah i mean it it depends on depends on space in your vehicle and everything else and none of this is a criticism of heidi we should all make this very clear we haven't just muted her and cut her out of the conversation (laughs) um but this is this is a genuine (laughs) thing like i I, i'm not offended (laughs) that's fine i will get hypey detail orientated on stuff and i know a lot of our listeners will as well if you go around to a market and you look at people's stools doesn't matter what the person looks like individually at this point but just look at the way that they're they're presenting the image forward and i have been guilty of it more than a lot of other people i i do have a resting grumpy face and if it's near the end of a long day and you're tired it can be very difficult to project a smile the whole time like people say that a wedding day is the worst day for like face ache yeah they haven't been on a multiple market run (laughs) for like you know several days on end where you've been getting up early and bringing your stock in and trying to be polite to everyone and and encouraging and all that kind of stuff but uh, yeah definitely um make sure you do bring something that allows you to take the weight off your feet make sure you've got a decent cover and and tables and things like that what about you then rasmus what would you bring as your next obvious ones i would always bring with me uh some marketing material whether that is flyers for classes or like equipment i'm selling or if that is just normal business cards, like something you can hand over to people that they can remember remember you by. Yeah. I find that really important. But also a way to get money from people, <laughs> preferably multiple ways of getting money out of people. I, I was lucky that I got on to the whole I settle thing really early or it became common just as I was starting out. So I sort of got a hold of that just as I needed it. And it's been a godsend, basically, because before that, there was no good way of taking money from people at the market. Yeah. And then suddenly you had a card reader that attached to your smartphone and can just do everything super easy for you. Definitely. Definitely. So that was one of the first things I did as well. And it's worth hunting around and finding the right kind of reader that will meet your requirements. I would say as well on that, those don't be tight mm. some of them like the zettel system was more expensive percentages all of so it's worth knowing on the card reader they will take a percentage of your sale that's how it pays for itself like you, you've got to recognize that yes but the percentage is, is normally under two percent it's like 1.4 or 1.5 depending on the system you go with just because one's more money 
don't immediately discount it. Have a look at what you're getting for that. So for instance, I went with the Zettel because it would also take Apple Pay for that extra money. It would also take American mm. Express for that money, which isn't very common in the UK. But if you start targeting higher end markets where people who are a bit more affluent, they are more likely to have that kind of card. You want to be able to take that money. Or if you go into more of selling to tourists, you would need to figure out what they would like to pay with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's also worth knowing as well, exactly like you said, Rasmus, we're not, don't just take a card machine. You want to make it really difficult for people to not give you money. Mm. So what I mean by that is, you know, you've got to be able to accept cash as well. So having change. So if people say, oh, I've only got a 50 pound note or something, which isn't necessarily likely in the UK, I'm not sure what the direct translation would be in in Norwegian. Uh, we, we go in, we are a salmon-based economy at this point. You're a salmon-based economy at this point. Well, you know, it's, it's you know, that explains an awful lot about, uh, the, <laughs> yeah, we won't, we won't go into personal hygiene issues about when we hug you, Rasmus, but we'll, we'll, now we know it's a salmon-based economy that uh, explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so w- whatever the direct translation would be on currency, you know, you, you want to give people no excuse to buy what you think you know and don't get me wrong though i i have occasionally had success if someone says oh i want to buy this thing but i've only got x amount of money rather than saying oh well, sorry i haven't got any change say oh, that's fine if you get this as well you've potentially increased the sales yeah. in that that's uh, that can be a way of doing it something both of you also drew attention to was the whole marketing thing so whether it's flyers on a table banner at the back of the stand pop-up banner whatever it is or all of them it's really important to remember no one's going to tell anyone about you except for you you might buy or you know you you rent the pitch space from the market and you might have bought yourself or hired a gazebo or or tent or whatever to put in the space but if it's just a, a plain colored tent and you're there with a table with a cloth on it what what are you? What's there to draw people into you? Mm. What's the thing that's going to make people stay and want to have a conversation? What's the dynamic? What's the kind of thing? My wife's very recently bought me a tablet device so that I can just literally download any reels or videos I do, put them on a loop and have that on the table Ooh. so that it's there showing people, I make my stuff. This isn't imported from a foreign nation. This has all been handmade by me. Mm. So you, you've got to champion yourself. You've really got to champion yourself and your products and and tell people in several different ways because people won't listen the first time around, won't pay attention. You know, you don't know why they've come here. They might have just been coming and taking the dog for a walk and didn't realise the market was on. What's their focus? Where's their brain at? They're not necessarily coming to specifically come and see you in your little bubble. So you have to kind of, in a nice, polite, comforting way, ingratiate them towards you and bring them in like you said rasmus oh did you know i do courses Mm. you know i don't just sell roses i also teach people how to make this that and whatever else and and the same same with your stuff heidi isn't it it's like it's not just this style of mug that i make i can also do a huge amount of other things and it can also be explaining your your credentials as well to people can't it you can kind of put things like that on there and make it clear that isn't just you sat in your your little room at home occasionally turning some things or you know spinning up the pottery wheel and you when you feel like it yeah i think one of the one of the funny things is, is that you if you are in a situation where you 
are, you know, super close to the people to the left and to the right of you. Um, I've had it where I get teased about my marketing pitch, you know, when people come into my booth and I'm explaining to them what I do and who I am and, you know, they can recite it at the end of the day um, because I try and use the same thing over and over and over again so that I know what my elevator pitch is to explain to people. Because a lot of people are like, wait, like, how do you do this? You make all of this? Yeah. Because that's that's like one of the conversations that ends up happening is like people come in my booth and I have so many different versions of mugs and and different styles and um, different things like nerd mugs and <laughs> Sasquatch mugs and local highlights mugs and plain mugs. People are like, whoa, this is all like this is one person. What? So the people around me, it happens at almost every market. People will tease me like that they know my life story and they have it memorized and they forget that like when people come to their booth, not to tell them my story. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But it's it's one of those things like you you learn how to number one, speak about your craft, how to speak about yourself, how to read the audience like Mm. some people don't want to come in your tent and talk to you and they and that's completely fine and it's trying to figure out like what am i doing so that i'm not i'm not being too much pressure on them to communicate with me but also like you know how do i make my environment friendly yeah um so that people do feel like they can ask me questions or whatever and usually what I say is like, hey, uh, welcome to my tent. Feel free to touch anything, pick up anything, check it out, see if it fits you. Uh, let me know if you have any questions. It's usually as simple as that. But um, yeah, but a lot of people <laughs> tease me. It's a, it's an interesting <laughs> point, though, that you make that the booths either side of you are able to recite your pitch by the end of the day. Because what that tells me is, is that they're not engaging with customers. Oh, maybe not. Or maybe they don't have customers to engage with. Well, that's what I mean. Like, if the, if the people are drawn to your tent and you're the one giving the pitch and they haven't got someone at the same time or then, you know, like, and you're in the middle of the row, you're not at the beginning of a row where people will walk along. Like, if, that, if they're able to recite your pitch back, that means they're paying far more attention to you than they are to their own stuff. Mm. I didn't even think about that. And that's a trap that I've fallen into a few times. Like, you see someone next to you being successful and you spend so much time watching them you forget to look at the front and go, hey, look, people might be coming to you and like wanting to look at your stuff or whatever, but because you're disengaged and your focus is elsewhere, they're not going to feel invited. They're not going to feel like oh. that they want to come in. Yeah. So it's, you know, I would, I would take that as a compliment. I would take that as people going, what's, what's she doing? How is she successful? See, I thought I was just being ribbed. <laughs> no, well, they, they probably are, but and, and they probably are doing it in like a, a fun jokey way but at the same time there's probably a little bit of like well but, but how how do i do that you know and that kind of thing yeah oh gosh i'm so naive <laughs> <laughs> not at all not at all i'm just over analytical on everything i know i totally took it as me being like i i need to change things up <laughs> no no you know based on sales figures you and i have discussed in the past not at all <laughs> yeah if anything you need to teach me and raz how to do our own patter and uh, improve that yeah heidi's course to people pleasing <laughs> maybe don't call it that <laughs> oh yes yes um what's what a, a trick that i've certainly found and this isn't bringing something to the stand necessarily but going off the back of that don't assume that if 
a couple or group of people walk into your booth that the person at the front is the one most interested. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have to try and not exclude anyone in the group, but you, you can quickly work out after it's happened a few times, which people are actually interested and which people are just part of the group and following along. And if you're really lucky, the amount of people who are interested, you can convert over the period of time they're in there and it will grow. But just because there's five people in your booth doesn't mean that five people are going to buy something. In fact, more often than not, it means one person's going to buy something. Yeah. If you're really lucky, you'll get one of them egging on the others to buy more than one thing. You need to learn how to kind of read the people and the situation in order to kind of like, when do you push and when do you just allow them to, to do what they're going to do? On that note, I often find it can be very beneficial as well to interact with the kids more than their parents. <laughs> Depending on how fragile things are in my world, they can't really break anything. Yeah, they shouldn't probably like pick up the axes and the knives and start running around. But apart from that, they can touch pretty much anything and it will be fine. Yeah. And also like saying to them, you can do that. And like, do you, I make a lot of like uh, key fobs with paw prints on them. And just interacting with them and saying, like, do you recognize the animal of this? I have the leaf hooks just asking them, do you re- recognize what tree this is? Yeah. And go on things like that. That's, even that and just maybe talking them through the process of making something if they are really baffled by it. But interacting with, with the kids can be a brilliant way of getting more interaction from the parents who are the one with the wallet. Absolutely. So on that note, and kind of sort of expanding a little bit, most of the things that I make, because it's wood-based, are all a very similar color, a similar sort of range of browns. And for quite a while, the tablecloth on my table that I used to use was like hessian sacking, which was very in for a period of time and could also be classed as a bit weddingy, which is also brown. Mm. I literally today, I've, I, yeah. I had a couple of really nice, I might say really nice, a couple of nice oak plate racks that I'd made to stand things up and all this kind of stuff. And we'll get onto that in a moment. I've just repainted them a kind of bright teal, greeny blue kind of color, which is going to become probably one of my new brand colors. Mm. Because one of the things I, th- I can't remember, I think it was probably a couple of you guys mentioned actually was the whole element of where's the fun? Like, if you look at a stand from a distance, whether you're a a small child or you're a physically larger child, and when we're talking about guys, certainly, Mm. what draws your eyes to a stand? Like, if it's all one monotone color, whether that's shades of brown, cream, gray, black, whatever, it's not eye-catching. It's not going to take people there. Like, if we think about social media, what draws the attention? It's it's moving images. It's not still pictures necessarily anymore. It's, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you don't want to become a reel <laughs> or, or a TikTok video, but you equally, you, you know, the brain engagement, like 10 seconds, you've got to think about how much time they will actually spend looking and registering what's there. So if you haven't got diversity of color and contrast and things, and so a couple of things that we bring to ours is we put pot plants out and we put like bigger ones on the floor and we put smaller ones around the table and everything so this does two things one it adds a range of color and the other one is it helps people kind of see it more as a homely thing and visualize your stuff in their house and at the end of the day that's what you need to do you need to persuade people that this is going to look good in their home even if it is an axe you know, everyone has one of those by the door, right? You, you say that like people don't have access in their home. Well, 
you know, maybe not by the front door like you might, but, you know. No, over the fireplace. Come on. <laughs> over the fireplace. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Crossed with a shield as well, yeah? Or is that too British? No, 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 that's fine. <laughs> um, but it's, it's that element of trying to make it a lot more welcoming and a lot more like, I can see this in my house. I'm more likely to buy it. And then going back to that thing about, hey, you know, engage the kids or whatever. Not everyone has children, but... I can guarantee you if it's an outdoor market, particularly in the UK, there will be a higher than likelihood chance that people will take the dogs along with them as well for a walk. Uh, so something I know that Heidi does and something I'm considering doing as well is putting out a dog bowl of water, particularly if it's a super hot day. If you've got, you know, clear bottled water or whatever, not everyone's going to appreciate it and not everyone's necessarily going to partake of it. But it's a conversation starter. And even if all it gets is a smile and a thank you from someone, they're more likely to remember you if you if this is a market that you're going to go at a repeat event. Hmm. So that's definitely something, you know, and, and if you've got products, like you said, Rasmus, where you've got, you know, maybe a paw print, not necessarily of a dog, but things that are vaguely related, sometimes that will bring people to the stand who are like, well, you know, they supplied water, I've not had to do it. Actually, maybe I'll look at their stuff and then maybe I'll give them, you know, I'll buy a trinket-sized item. I'll give them the sub-$10, sub-£10 item um, as kind of a thank you, hmm. which can be helpful as well. Speaking of money and speaking of knowing how much things are, price tags, labels. Yes. Not everyone is confident enough to ask you how much something is. And even if they are confident enough, not everyone wants to. Everything with the money question for me is it should be as absolutely easy as possible for the customer to figure out how to walk away with the thing they like, basically. Yeah. Or more importantly, how to, for us, for creators to get paid. Yeah. I, I've been toying around with a few different ideas. One is like having some dish and having just, for example, key fobs and things like here's a dish, lots of tiny, small things, one price tag for the whole dish. Then you have pricing individual items, which are slightly bigger. But also, if you have like a plethora of options and varieties that all are slightly different, for example, the roses I make that are different sizes and different materials, usually iron and stainless, having a simple price scheme, like a small uh, format thing, where it's just like small, medium, large, downwards, and then across going iron and stainless, and just saying like, here's a quick explanation for that. Mm. Make it easy for them to notice what the thing they're holding is worth and what it will take to walk home with it. Yeah. I just had a bit of a thought. Oh, dear. <laughs> and I wish I'd realized this when I started doing markets. If you assume that all of your customers are deaf and dumb, mm. so therefore they are unable to communicate with you unless you happen to know the same sign language as they do, how would they purchase from you if you haven't made it super clear yeah. what something is and how much it is and that, yes, you will take the payment method that they offer. That is kind of a good metric, yeah. Yeah, if you kind of work off that basis of that's what I'm having to work with, then I currently now need to restructure everywhere. I price everything based on that, <laughs> um, which is fine. But, um, you know, it, making it as simple as possible, this is going off what you were saying, Rasmus, making it as simple as possible for people to walk up to your stand, to know what they're looking at, to know how much it is, and to know how they can pay for it. Mm. If they then do not want to speak to you at all, other than literally pick something up and hand it to you and hold a card up, that's fine. That's not a problem at all. Just, you know, package it, take the money, whatever, that kind of thing. And you can still be perfectly pleasant about it. Yeah. 
So my brain's gone spiraling off now on all the things I need to do to update my my market stand for before the next one, which is That's okay. Which is good. It's part of the reason for us doing this podcast. <laughs> You'll experiment and do five hundred different things and still never feel like yeah. you really nailed it. <laughs> yeah. And that's an important thing as well though, isn't it? Is like is like be prepared for the fact that there are things that you think that you should do differently each time. Yeah. Like the whole reason why marketing is called marketing is because people would take stuff to a market and see if it worked and it would sell and bring people do it and then they would experiment with something different. Mm-hmm. You won't make the, the perfect market booth the first time you do it. And let's be honest, you kind of never will. You might hit your stride like Heidi and, and have a system that works really well for you is relatively easy to adapt and set up depending on whether it's indoor, outdoor and what size space you have. But you won't necessarily know that you can always put things out the same way. Like Rasmus, if you were going to one of the like medieval reenactment things, there's half your stock you probably wouldn't necessarily even take with you. Yep. But even if you did, if I was displaying your stuff at one of those, I'd be getting like sheepskins and pelts and stuff and like you know laying things out on that i wouldn't even necessarily i think if i was going to have a table i'd want to like clad it in something and make it look older and all that kind of stuff yeah and that's sort of a a journey all in itself and sort of Mm. tailoring and customizing your booth for every single market or at least the types for types of markets you do yeah within a budget (laughs) of course and that's also the thing like in the beginning just get there, like just lay things on a table and just start seeing what items people are most attracted to. And then I did this a lot in the beginning of just, oh, people seem to be uh, touching these things a bit more mm-hmm. and commenting and talking about these things a bit more. Let me push those a bit more forward, make them easier to see. And I organize things around it so that the gaze can flow from that to other things. Yeah. And I realized that helped sales a little bit. And it's also one of the things of, yeah, it's difficult when you don't have a formal education in it for me. <laughs> yeah. But it's a lot of just trial and error. And I would walk around my booth and I would stare at it like for five minutes with my back to all of the customers coming approaching. I was like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. What do you think? We all do that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, that you're, I like the what Dan said about it being like, this is a definition of marketing, right? Mm. Is like, mm. there's. And I think it's important to express that there is no wrong way to do this other than to not show up, right? Absolutely. That would be, that would be the only wrong way. There are things that we all three collectively have learned about what is best based on our personalities. Mm So obviously I'm an extrovert. I like talking to people. I like people picking up my pieces and, and, you know, seeing how they feel and experimenting with them and, you know, testing out different ones. And I also know that I don't want to price my mugs differently based on application. So I've learned that if I just choose the higher price point and make all of my mugs to that higher price point, then it saves me and my community a lot of effort uh, when they're trying to figure out what my pricing is. All my mugs are $35 and all of my tankards are $40 and all of my bowls are 20 and all of my tumblers are 20. That way there's no, I I don't want it to be a complex experience for anyone. And I don't like answering the pricing question over and over again, Mm. which is also why I had done a menu before where it was like, this shape mug is this price and this shape mug is this price. And, you know, that was great, but it was almost like a wasted effort because nobody saw it or nobody paid attention to it. I found 
because I did a menu once and I found it distracted people. They spent more time looking at the piece of paper and trying to work out what was what product and everything and the price that by the time they'd done that, they'd lost interest. So, And that was time that they should have been spending picking the item up, looking at it and going, oh, I really like this, and then asking how much it is. You, you kind of want the committal to buying before they've mm-hmm. discovered what the price is. So for me, and sounds like for Heidi as well, the whole kind of like having, whether it's an A5, A4, whatever size thing with a breakdown of what things are, we haven't found that works for us, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't for other people. I think it's a really good description that you've used there of menu. If you're not selling food, mm. that's possibly not the way to go unless you only have like four items. They're really easily distinguished between what they are. Because that's the other thing. So you've just listed off tumblers and platters and all this kind of stuff. There will still be people out there who, if you say tumbler, they won't realise what you're talking about on your stand. You've got to kind of, like we said in... I drew pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I drew pictures. All right, fair enough. <laughs> you know, going back to what we said almost in, in like sort of episode one kind of time is get other people who are not a similar creator to look over your stuff before you put it out so that they can look at it and say, what what's that? So, you know, one of my products is called a trencher plate. Unless I showed a picture of what that was, literally no one would know unless it was hung on a piece of paper around the physical item. They're not going to know just because you've given it a name or it's or it's based on something. If they don't know what that is, they, they don't know what they're looking at. So labeling is is really important. However, you, you play with that. Can I tell you what I ended up doing? Yeah. So I moved away from the the menu yeah. sign, but I just like to call it the menu sign because <laughs> it's what it feels like to me. Like, Well, it is. It's exactly <laughs> what it is. Yeah. So I do individually tag with a little piece of string and a little card that I get printed with my logo on it. Mm-hmm. And then I put a little sticker on the back with the price and then I tie it on the mug handles. Um, and sometimes on, on, on other things, but that to me in a way elevated me from just being a run of the mill potter who just pulls things out of their kiln and puts them on a table to I'm taking the time to merchandise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a big difference between just having a table and with stuff on it and effectively merchandising your work yeah and whether that's like adding packaging to your items or adding tags or whatever i think that is a consideration too to just yeah. elevate your product in your space a little bit more and and that i think that's probably something easier to do with things like soap and <laughs> you know chocolates and that kind yeah, of thing but definitely uh, with pottery that's the way yeah. i did it wrapping round plates is not not a fun mm-hmm. job that my wife or I enjoy at all. Um, but it is part of the whole experience, though, Heidi. You're quite right. You know, carrier bags. How are people taking your stuff away? You know, and if you're mm-hmm. going to provide bags, whether or not you want them recycled or not, whether you buy them in or not, are they going to be strong enough to take away what you're taking? You know, um, Raz, you know, you and I have discussed in the past a little bit that you paid extra money for the premium bag because what you sell is heavier. It's metal. Some of it's sharp, etc. Yeah. You want to know that people can walk comfortably around a market and get back to home or their vehicle without the product falling on the floor because there will then be a negative connotation to you and your brand. Yeah. And also, I didn't want the bags I handed them to detract from the feeling or quality I was selling. So it was also the whole point of 
which I got is people getting a, a bag from me with their thing and saying, wow, that's a nice bag. Yeah. And it's nothing special. It is black. It has a rope handle. But the quality and solidity of it is way beyond what most other people bring to market. Yeah, definitely more than I did. <laughs> and the benefit is I don't often need to give them a bag because they often have already bought something for somewhere else. Or they might be carrying a bag or what they're buying is small enough to be fixed in pockets. Yeah. So I ask them, do you want to bag with that? More often than not, they say no. I think maybe a third of the customers, if maybe that much, will actually want a bag. So buying the premium one just gives those few people who want one and need one a really good boost and it doesn't cost me that much. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, with the bags as well, there's the packaging situation where if you choose to wrap things, depends what you're selling. I mean, all the items I'm selling are wooden, realistically. Like if you drop it, it might get a dent in it, but I still wrap them in tissue paper, potentially a bit of bubble wrap, and then it goes in a bag depending on what the item is which I know that Heidi's kind of smiling a little bit about because uh, how, how do you package your mugs, Heidi, when you send them on? Um, I wrap them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, at, when I ship them... No, 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 at the market, <laughs> Heidi. Yeah. <laughs> I put them in individual boxes. But at the market, if they buy more than one piece, then I'll put one piece in a bag without wrapping, which I probably should do put wrapping on everything um but i'm a bit stingy when, <laughs> when it comes to the wrapping but you're highlighting an important point wrapping costs money like it, it costs profit doesn't it so unless you're mm. fortunate you know through the, through my day job and my wife or my wife's day job we get an awful lot of deliveries therefore we get excess packaging so we're recycling bubble wrap or, or the, the cardboard-based packaging or whatever else it might be. We're recycling it from the workplace who would otherwise have to pay for the recycling to be taken away. That's fine. We've got access to that. But I wouldn't buy a roll of bubble wrap to take with me to a market to then wrap it because that you know that's straight away out of the profit margin. But it, it's all things like that that are um, definitely worth considering. A couple of the more mundane items, stuff to take to market with you. If you're outside and you've got some form of tent or gazebo, weights for the legs. Yeah. Um, you don't want to find out at the wrong time that you haven't weighted it down enough and it goes flying. It's uh, I've seen it happen and it's, it's not an enjoyable experience. Similarly, if you are intending selling delicate lightweight items such as jewellery, make sure that whatever they are displayed on is weighted enough that a gust of wind won't blow it over. And if you're a wood turner who has spent a lot of time turning a nice, delicate, lightweight serving tray 12 inches in diameter, and you've proudly displayed it higher up on a uh, nice little book stand thing, don't do that when it's a tarmac or concrete floor underneath. Yeah. And if you do, once the first one's blown off, Take the second one down so that that one doesn't also do that. Don't ask me how I know. Sounds like experience. <laughs> Dan, on a side note, do you, would you consider yourself a slow learner? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there, there was a word for people like me many years ago. We're not allowed to use it anymore. <laughs> Along the lines of making sure that your tent is weighted, I think... 
at least for me, it was important to have insurance hmm. because things do happen where even if the tent is weighted, um, you might be asked to leave your tent and materials overnight. And there may be security, but there's always a chance that something happens overnight, yeah. that your product gets damaged, stolen, you know, something could crazy could happen. Recently, well, not recently, last year, I was invited to an event. I ended up with COVID, so I couldn't go, but a bunch of my friends attended the event and there was a freak microburst mini tornado that just ripped through the entire tented area. And there were people that were stained glass people. There were people with candles that were in like glass containers. There were people that had very delicate paper crafts Mm. um, and they lost everything. And those that had insurance had everything covered. It was kind of a pain for them to file claims and everything. But depending on your insurance, most of the cost of your materials and products can be covered including your tent. Like the one girl had her tent completely replaced by her insurance. So Mm. I know like we don't always like to think about the possibility of catastrophe, but it is good to keep in mind. And in the States, at least the larger markets require some type of weekend insurance and there are yeah the majority of the uk ones do too yeah. yeah and and you know it's just think ahead look at the weather think about you know am i going to be overly hot am i going to be soaking wet mm. be cognizant of the things that you can control and be aware that there are nightmare stories that y- you can learn from and be prepared for. Yeah. Do you have things that rust? Is there going to be a heavy fog coming in? Mm. Do you have things That's... that rust? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. All wooden items that if they get condensation overnight and all that kind of stuff. So I think definitely worth paying attention to weather and also seasons. So, you know, we, we're releasing this uh, in September. We're talking about people potentially going to their first Christmas market. It's going to get darker in a lot of the countries that's going to happen in, unless you're in the Southern Hemisphere. Lights. Lights mm. are really worthwhile bringing along, whether or not it's battery-powered, twinkly, fairy lights and lots of them, or whether they're, you know, most importantly, make sure that they're rechargeable battery ones is because you, you're not going to have access all the time to power. But make sure things are well lit up so that people can access it and see it. I've got on there, just as a, as a default, packs of cable ties. Oh, like not to be clearly visible and displayed, but or zip ties, whatever you want to call them, but mm. really handy for if you have to make a quick repair on like a the wall of a of a tent or something that's just flapping around, or if you want to strap something to it or whatever, all of that kind of good stuff. And I think, uh, oh yeah, two important ones. One is food. Mm. Yes. Okay. It, the first couple of times you go to a market stand, and I will pass over to you in a minute, Raz, don't worry, this is your your first subject. <laughs> the first couple of times you go to a market, it can be really exciting, and you're like, oh, well, I'm just, oh, there's a really good, like, fast food van just over there, I'm gonna, that, I'll have that for lunch, and I'll go and have that, oh, and then, like, it's not too busy at the moment, so there's someone over there selling sweets, and I'm, I kind of could do with the sugar boost, so I'll go over there, or they, that, uh, next to them is a guy who does a really good brownie. Be wary of overspending (laughs) Mm -hmm. like by all means you want to enjoy yourself but equally if your first few markets if if you you, the chances of having high turnover are not necessarily that great 
and you can easily end up spending all your profit on the nice, attractive food from the vendors around you, which if you want to do as a loss leader just to get the experience, that's up to you. If you want to make a business model out of this, like bring snacks, bring a packed lunch or whatever. Treat this as a day at work. Yes. That's what it is. It is a day at work. You want to have fun. You want to enjoy the experience, but it is a day at work. If on your normal day job, you would go out and buy your lunch, fine. That's that's not a problem. And I'll be the first to admit that if you set up at half seven in the morning in the winter, that a bacon sandwich is normally uh, one of the first jobs that is, is greeted with you after that. But just bear it in mind. That's kind of a an important thing, I think. Uh, we can all agree on don't you think Raz? yeah <laughs> I, I would even go as far as which i have ended up doing but not very consciously is prioritize markets that actually hand out food to the exhibitors mm, interesting not a whole lot maybe it's just like a cup of coffee and a waffle are you often welcome back to these markets Surprisingly, I am. <laughs> uh, also because they they might have leftovers at the end of the day and they walk around with them and I always look very happy when they come to me for some odd reason. Okay. But that's that's more of maybe just a culture of Norway and maybe it's just a bit of overlap with these are people who are more invested in everybody having a good time yeah. than squeezing as much money as possible out of this market. Absolutely. So yeah. where you're going to a market where they come around and check on you, they walk around with water, with coffee, maybe even with food or snacks. Those are the markets I would want to go back to because they care about how I'm doing a lot more. Yeah. And often yeah. enough, those are the markets where I ended up selling the most as well. Yeah, because everyone's happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But as I said, like treat it as a, as a day of work because that is what it is to your business. Yeah. Maybe have a budget that you set up and where you say, like, this is the amount I can indulge myself with. Yeah. Because you are supposed to have a good time. You're not supposed to be suffering while at the market. Absolutely. Yeah. But if you can put a budget down and say, like, yes, I can buy some sweets. I can buy something because also I want to interact with more of the other people selling things, especially if they're food vendors. It's almost sad to say it, but you are, in that sense, also broadening your network. You're getting to know more people. Yeah. And most important thing of all with that, particularly when it's throughout the day, anyone that you go and approach, you don't have to do it really in a gross and blatant way. Make sure they know that you've got a stall at the market as well. Mm. And the reason why I say that is I'd been to the same monthly market for four months. I think you told the story. I might have done on already. the last episode as well. Probably did, but I'll tell it again. Yeah, short version. That's fine. Yeah, I, it was only after like the third or fourth month that the guy realised I was a market stall holder there, and I got discount for what I was for the the beverage that I was purchasing. Mm. And some of the people will do that. There is no obligation for anyone for any of you to offer discount to fellow marketeers, as it were. Um, but equally it might stand you in good stead if there is margin for you to do that. Just as a percent sort of thing, I generally speaking offer 10% off everything on my stand to other people who are already at the market. It helps generate a little bit of turnover sometimes at the beginning or the end of the market. Mm. It can sometimes even just cover the cost of your pitch fee before you've got started. So it can be quite a nice little thing. And sometimes the people who have bought it will then have it at their stand and people say, where did you get that? And it can... Yeah. You know, and they'll they'll talk nicely about it too because uh, you you have given them a bit of discount, that kind of thing. The final one then on uh, on what to bring to market is a and Raz, you used the word gimmick. Yes, 
it's the thing to draw people to your stand that a lot of other people probably haven't got. I was going to say a bit boring. I suppose it can be boring depending on your interest. The thing I did last Christmas is I had a slice through a piece of an elm tree. So where the bark had been all the way around, I'd sanded the top flat and I put that across the front of my table mm. and the amount of people who would walk past and just trail their fingers over it because of the grain. And it, and it was just meant as a large display, kind of like table center kind of charcuterie board type thing. It wasn't huge, but it was different enough that it, it, it made people want to come and interact and get the tactile feel and that kind of thing. But you've got a slightly different idea for something that you would like to do for your gimmick, haven't you, Raz? Yeah, and ironically enough, I finally have the perfect anvil for this, despite this is one of my 10th or 11th anvils that I bought, is to have a small anvil I can bring to markets. Not to do proper work, but to tinker with things. Maybe I can use it, I have like a set of letter stamps, I can engrave someone's name on the spot. I've sell some bracelets, maybe I can adjust it for them on that small anvil while I'm there. Maybe I can just texture some roses, just have a few with me, it's just as I can make some noise. And if the market is super slow, I get something done. Hmm. Especially when it comes to blacksmithing. I mean, the sound, it carries really well. <laughs> and it helps attract people. Just need to be wary of annoying your neighbors as well. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why it's really nice to give them a discount beforehand. <laughs> sort of bribe them to just please tolerate me for this weekend. Uh, do you have anything like that in mind, Heidi? Do you have like a big piece that you would do or anything that draws people in? Actually, it's it's really not about the, the work. I wear crazy overalls yeah, yeah. every time uh, just to like make people aware uh, of the booth and give people an opportunity to be like, oh yeah, it's the girl in the red flowered overalls or it's the girl and with the leopard print you know like just something iconic for people to remember me and also like it boosts my social media too so if i'm at a market and i'm sharing what i'm doing i get a lot of engagement with that too Uh, i know it sounds really silly to care about your clothing when you're at a market yeah no I think it's really good. It's helped me and it, it's also a uh, conversation starter. So Dan, similar to your uh, large slab, like mm. I'm sure people are like, oh, well, that's really nice, you know, and then they'll draw, it draws them into conversation. Absolutely. Unfortunately, it's not, like nothing to do with my pottery. And it's like, where did you get those overalls? <laughs> where did you get those cover ups? You know, like yeah. those are super rad. Yeah. And then it turns into like why I wear them or like what I like about them or, you know, mm. it, you mm. know, I sometimes work in them and um it's i don't know go ahead ross you were saying no it's it's definitely a definitely way to draw people in i did craft in my own head when i was thinking about going to my first market stalls i was like right my my stuff is kind of historically inspired i want to subtly remind people of kind of like that bygone era of 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 the workmen who would certainly in the uk you know they they would go in in their their, the leather shoes and the the trousers and they'd, they'd have like a white collarless shirt on, a uh, black cotton vest top over that, and then they'd wear an apron over that. And I thought, well, I'm not wearing an apron while I stand at the market stall stand. I'm not I'm not working. It's not what I'm doing. Uh, and I didn't happen to have the kind of the waistcoat described, but I did buy a collarless shirt mm-hmm. and I put on a, a nice tweed waistcoat over the top because part of the country that we're in, that's kind of, you know, it's the it's the rural area, it's the countryside, so it kind of links into that as well. And that works great in the spring and summer months. 
Mm. When it's winter, then there's another four layers or more on top of that, and it's kind of pointless. <laughs> so definitely having a... I mean, that, that just means you need to figure out what your gimmick is for winter season if you're outside. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, my gimmick for winter should be I wear shorts and T-shirt and everyone can come and, like, point and laugh. <laughs> yeah. You said that you didn't think that you should be suffering when you're at your stall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. For me personally, I've got a couple of large pieces of timber. I want to turn some really big things uh, that will have a large price tag on them. So the chances of them selling are not high. But if they do, fantastic. Mm. Um, but it, it makes people go, what the hell is that kind of idea? But yeah, anything you do that is is safe and fun and all of that kind of thing. I do have one friend who they go to a market. They have a friend who comes along as their helper. So if you haven't got a partner who's able to or willing to come along, then it's always good to have a helper so that someone who can watch the stand if you need to take a convenience break or something like that. But this particular person, their friend, is an avid cosplayer. Oh. And so they will occasionally just turn up in costume. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's because, good. Because, you know, oh, there's not a convention on, but I want to try out this new look of this, whatever. And it's like, what, whatever. I'm not even sure. I can't remember what she told me last. I think someone said last time she cosplayed as Rapunzel from Tangled or something like that. Yeah. So she was like, you know, bouncing. So again, back to what you said, Reyes, all of the kids wanted to come to the stand. And they didn't. They don't charge for it or anything like that. And I think they actually ended up with more people coming to take selfies with Rapunzel than her selling anything. So you've got to kind of manage the situation a little bit. But yeah, definitely a gimmick would be sort of thing there. If I may shoot in a little bit when it comes to sort of attire thing, ideally you want to be going to the same markets year over year because they're good for you. Yes. That also means it's really handy for people to be able to recognize you year to year. I mean... By all means, like if you need to shave your beard or something silly and you don't have it on the next market, uh, th that's too bad, but people can deal with that. But if you have something on you, with you, like a bit more than your logo, yeah. because also like, yeah, having branded clothing, that helps. Yeah. But if there's something with what you're wearing, like the, the colorful over overalls or the crazy ones, yeah, how do you talking about? If you have something that's like, oh, she weren't wearing that last time. But that's the only person who probably would be wearing something like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, it makes it just super easy to recognize and to see you and see like, oh, I bought this thing from you last time. They will not remember your name. They might not remember your brand name. Yeah. They might barely remember to remember what they, exactly they bought from you. Yeah. But if they remember interacting with you. Yeah. I think that's even more important. Yeah, I try to be iconic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you succeed. You succeed, Heidi. Don't worry. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's definitely a thing on there about like whether you, you go down the branded clothing route or not and all that kind of thing. It all very much depends on the feeling of your brand and, and what you're going to do. And by all means, also how much you want to be out there and showing yourself off. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can do a lot of these things without being loud and obnoxious or just up in people's faces. Absolutely. My approach to people, this is also very much covered by me being introvert and Norway being a more or less a quiet and keep to yourself country, I might not even talk to a lot of the customers coming up just because, not, not only because like some people, they walk up and they have their eyes locked on the table and they just look at the table and there's like, there's no opening for me to say anything. But if I see that I stop on something and they might pick something up and I see the question sort of in their attitude, then I might approach and say something about it. But there's a, often people will walk up to my booth and I won't say a single word. Because there's nothing for me to interact with, with uh, to them there. 
and that's I recognize that's also very much a country of Norway being a country where like we don't do those a lot of those empty pleasantries. Yeah, it's a lot more f- happening here in Norway. If you bump into someone at the shop, nobody say anything. You just go Ooh, and then we'll move around and move on because that's just less of an inconvenience for everyone. Well, I mean, there's a difference between empty pleasantries and, and being impolite. Oh, really. yeah, yeah. But, I mean, there's yeah. nuances okay. to all of this. I'm, I'm just saying, <laughs> this happens to work for me here. It's a cultural difference, Raz. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very interesting thing to mention because uh, I think that follows on to kind of our next overall subject, which is talking about not necessarily bad experiences, but if you are on the stool on your own and you are not an extroverted or confident person, there is a possibility, and it, you know, understandably, some people get concerned and worried about it. There is a possibility that you will end up with someone who is dominating the conversation, mm. who is purely coming up to tell you everything that you're doing wrong, and to, you know, potentially worst case scenario, they're saying about how bad all of your things are, and all this kind of stuff. And they, in their heads, they're possibly not even trying to be mean about it. Mm. They think they're possibly being helpful. Or constructive but the way that you as the creative person have will interpret it will quite possibly you know rile you up or upset you or they're just talking annoyingly yeah. and not allowing you to interact with good customers or potentially good customers absolutely yeah yeah they're being a time suck yeah they're taking you away from other people who might have bought something but they're monopolizing your time um yeah i mean the the one that happens with us or certainly with me a lot that isn't necessarily a negative but is a time suck is other woodturners coming up talking to me about my work Mm. which if there's no one else there that's fine because someone stood there talking to you draws people to the stand but equally they you need to be able to extract yourself from that conversation because the chances of another woodturner buying your woodturned items is very small particularly if they're just talking about technique and all of that kind of stuff yeah that doesn't mean you should be rude that doesn't mean you shouldn't talk to them but extracting yourself from that situation can be a case of having to learn. I mean, the way that I would normally do it is say, oh, can we just hold the conversation there a moment? I've, I've got someone over here who, who might be interested in something else. Mm. I mean, I don't know about you, Heidi. I think, you, you know, you've probably had more experience than we have on some of these kind of things. I don't know. Um, but how would you normally do that? Well, because I'm an extrovert <laughs> and I'm American and I'm loud and I'm in your face, uh, it's all those cultural things that I am an American for. I do generally get into those situations where people like my personality and would like to continue having a conversation with me. But mm. you're right. It's it's one of those situations where you you have to be in a place where you're confident enough to be like, I, I'm going to assert my time. Like, I'm going to be assertive and say, this is, this is how much time I'm going to allot for a general conversation while there's still people coming through. Usually I'm not so crazy busy in my booth that I can't do like 15 minutes of small chat, right? But when it is crushingly busy, when there's a line of people, that's when I like to have someone else do the transactional things, maybe answer the transactional questions about, you know, what's this cost? What's this made of? Is this microwave safe? Da, 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 da. Uh, And then I get to be the personality and I feel free to be able to engage in those conversations, maybe more than 15 minutes. But I really do try to to keep it down to, to you know, that amount. And back to very early on in our conversation, the reason that I have a chair 
is sometimes I have visitors that like to, maybe they're waiting for their food or maybe they're waiting for something else to die down or a band to come on. So I like to have a place, like if I do have a visitor that has no intention of purchasing something, I have a place to put them mm, cool. uh, where that they're not feeling like I'm kicking them out because I'm trying to do my job, but they can sit and you know relax and wait for a bit, whether that's my husband, whether that's a friend of mine, whether that's, you know, my dad or, you know, just some person that's within my sphere that just needs somewhere to hang out for yeah. a period of time. That way they're kind of out of the way. Mm. Um, they have a nice place to sit. They might have some of my water that I so emphatically said I needed. <laughs> but it, again, it's it's like if I, if I have someone to do the task of doing the the selling like you know the whole transactional part then i feel a lot more free to even stand outside of my tent and engage with people to draw them in because you're you're not relegated to just standing in your tent and if you do make friends easily like i do you can make friends with the people to the left and the right of you absolutely so that you know if you need to take a potty break and you don't have anybody with you you can go take that potty break if you want to take a lap around the other vendors and you don't have somebody like that's always a possibility is just to say hey can you watch my booth for a minute and lock your box and grab your phone and go just try not to abuse it right Mm. Yeah. But yeah, just long-winded way of saying I like people and I like talking, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, but it's, it is very important. And if you know that you are an introverted person, it might well be worth bringing along someone who is invested in what you're trying to do and is a little bit more extrovert. Don't like you want someone to be a cheerleader, but not over enthusiastic necessarily, because that can kind of work against you a little bit. Mm. Um, but you also don't want sort of be kept in the shadow too much from that kind of a thing. Um, you, it needs to be obvious that you are the person who has made the things so that you can answer a few questions about it and that kind of stuff, which may be hard for some people. And, you know, if that's the case and you don't feel that that is the sort of thing that you can do, then, hey, you might be prepared to just send a friend along to sell your stuff. There's nothing wrong with doing that either. My cousin, when we were doing an event together, she made us t-shirts that said Heidi Jacobs maker and Nicole, what did it say? Helper. Mm. Uh, So that there was a clear definition of like who to talk to about the actual craft and who to just like, you know. Yeah. I mean, she was just as much of a cheerleader, but it was almost (laughs) like having like, hi, my name is name tags. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But that, that is brilliant though. That is brilliant. Because it also makes sure that like they don't expect her to know absolutely everything about the business. It's more like, I'm here to do all of the simple things. If you have technical questions, go that way. Yeah. How do you feel about having your image on your marketing collateral? Like the face? Uh... Like you're a photo of you doing your craft. I think that's really important. Like I know, Dan, you said something about like having it in a video, but like what about like in your banner, when you design your banner or whatever? Yeah, so I I haven't got a pop-up banner yet and it is something I want to create, but one of the reasons I haven't got it is because I want someone to come and take the photo of me turning in a very specific way. I've I've got the image framed in my head. I just can't take it Mm. um, myself, partly due to the composition required and setting up the camera and everything. I could waste a day just moving a camera around and setting the shot up and all that kind of stuff. I need uh, like Steve or someone to just pop around and spend an hour with me and just 
snap a load of photos. So that's why I haven't made the pop-up banner yet, is that I very much want my face on it. I want people to see that it is me creating the things, you know, and not posed with a non-moving lathe, but like an action shot proper stuff coming along. So yeah, no, I'm I'm all for it because I think it's really important that people recognise that it is you touching the tools, making the stuff, um, and see the connection is there, and that you're you're passionate about it, that you are selling it. It all comes down to you're selling a story as much as a product, right? Mm. I guess I fall enough into the stereotype of people don't question the fact that I am a blacksmith when they see me behind the booth, which is weird, but it is weird in the nicest possible way, Raz. Yeah. Unless you look closer and you're wearing a T-shirt, you wouldn't fit the stereotype of, certainly in the English mindset, of what a blacksmith would be. Mm. Because, you know, you're, you're not you're not short, but you're certainly not six foot. Yeah. You're not, you know, you're not this hefty guy. You're not kind of like, the you know, I if, if anyone, I would have said Ben, Heidi's Ben, is the guy who looks more like he should be a blacksmith than you do, mm. based on first initial impressions, right? Minus the fact, I, I don't know, has he currently got a beard, Heidi? <laughs> uh, he shaved it last weekend. So he, yeah, he's looking like a gentle giant now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that, you know, that kind of the expectation of what someone would look like when you say the word blacksmith, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. Certainly in a Terry Pratchett world anyway. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I have had the same thoughts as you, Dan. I want to get some kind of banner, pop-up banner up. Mm with me showing doing the actual craft in a cool looking and his accurate way yeah and not just lots of sparks and fire and then there's my face on it kind of but sparks and fire is what brings people to the stand raz <laughs> that's that's kind of the contrast isn't it it, 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 it is but there's, there's ways of doing it that can look cool because the steel can be blo- yeah. glowing and you can do a lot of things to make it really yeah. really interesting but that's, that's sort of the same problem you mentioned. Like I, I haven't been able to take this time to figure out exactly how I want that to be and the composition of it. So I've just been walking around, yeah. just taking a lot of random pictures and hoping something cool will show pop up that I can use for this. Yeah. That being said, I have recently talked to a friend of mine to come over and help me take a lot of pictures. Yeah. So I hope to actually get closer to figuring out what we can do that will look cool, both like composition-wise and action-wise and things like that. But that's a whole other conversation entirely. It's like, yes, mm. especially maybe if you don't look like the stereotype of the craft, having your face attached to doing it, I think can be really important. But you need to be comfortable yeah. with all of that. Yeah. I was thinking in the context of like, if you are having someone help you, like mm. it just it's another caveat of, yeah. oh yeah, that's that's not the person that's making it. So, you know, that person doesn't have to. I think that's the other side to it as well. So, Heidi, you and I have both put a brand name against our stuff. You're Whitehall Pottery. I'm Bevel. Rasmus is Rasmus. Mm. That That is his brand, is him, his name. So, if you're calling something by a, a name, whatever that be, Acorn Crafts or something similar, what is that? You know, so and who is that? And so differentiating down exactly who the, the, the maker, creative person of that may be, like you said, as opposed to, you know, an assistant of some description. But absolutely. Um, time is moving on. And I think we, we've covered a lot already. But before we, um, you know, we, we go any further, we want to 
talk briefly about how to actually display at the market or get to that point and then we'll cover the kind of the new things that we've each done to move our uh, move our brands forward so you know assuming you've got all this stuff that you've got ready to bring to your market and i'll throw in there one else we keep adding to the list you know battery stations to make sure your phone and your uh, payment device are fully charged up uh, that one, one's always a handy one yeah but let's say you've got all of this stuff ready you've got the date you're going to it you've got all this stuff that's possibly sat in your living room because you haven't got storage space for it yet actually seeing what your market is we won't highly pointing at boxes all around her for a moment there <laughs> What I did before my first market was I actually, I have fortunate enough to have space in my back garden that I put up the tent that I was borrowing. First of all, so I knew how to do it. And I wasn't just embarrassed, surrounding by all these other market traders on me on the day, just popping things up. And the second one was, right, how actually big is this space? How am I displaying my stock? Do I need another table? Have I got too many tables? Where, where am I getting, you know, all of that kind of stuff and doing a full mock-up. I think, Heidi, you mentioned actually drawing out a plan. You know, various people are a lot more organised than me. I prefer the organic feel of physically moving the stuff around. But you do you plan all of your markets? So the biggest thing is, is that I look at what my product, how, how has my product changed from my previous markets? Can I just do the same thing that I've been doing? Mm. I have obviously lots of mugs. And so I want to have shelves for that. So Ben designed me shelves to go up. So I did do some three-dimensional planning. I took some photos. I did some illustrations. I laid it out, you know, virtually first. And then I did set up in my driveway what I thought I would do for the execution once I had the new shelves. And that way I could tell Ben like, oh, I need I need three shelves. I need four shelves. I need two shelves. You know, like that way he wasn't over making and I knew kind of what my layout was going to be. Also, one thing that I learned very early on is elevate everything. Mm -hmm. Like don't just lay things flat on a table. Absolutely. Yeah. You want people's eyes to kind of, you know, be able to see just about all of your product when they do a sweep through visually, even if they're not coming all the way into your booth. That way, you know, it draws them in and they know what you're about. It's it's part of your what I was talking about before, your merchandising solution is yeah. elevating your pieces. And I mean physically elevating them up um, and not just like, <laughs> oh, it's high end, so it's elevated, right? Like I don't mean it like you like metaphorically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also <laughs> invested in a tent that had sides. So I I don't just have a pop-up tent and it's a one-man pop-up tent. So it only takes me to be able to put up, which is nice uh, for events that maybe Ben can't come help me or whatever. And I don't have to ask for help, Hmm. which there's a lot on like Amazon that you can get. They're easy up tents and they're super, super nice. But I made sure I got one with sides. So if I needed privacy left and right, say like there's an annoying neighbor or they, you know, like at one show I had somebody making out the whole time they were there. So it was really nice. It's really nice to have the sides. That way I could also, you know, tape things to my walls if I wanted to like, like I said about the menu before. And then the other thing was my um, collateral. So my signage, you know, if I wanted to like make it Christmassy and decorate, or if I wanted to hang lights, like Dan was saying, I knew how to hang the lights, where to plug them in. I am investing in a little solar panel so that I have that to be able to like 
charge everything because I do have a portable little battery thing, but I've found that like after a full weekend of use, maybe by the end, I just, I don't have enough life in that rechargeable, uh, separate battery. So the, the solar unit, I think would be a good thing for me. And then the other thing is that I do have a pop-up banner in front and Ben made me a wooden sign that says pottery, like Whitehall pottery, so that there's a presentation just in front of my tent. So, like, if you're looking down the line Mm -hmm. of tents, you're not just seeing a bunch of white tents or, like, white, blue, white, green, you know, tents. You see my signs uh, just in front of my tent, too, to to kind of be a call to action, like, come to my tent, there's pottery here. But I do a dry run. I haven't changed it up really at all. Usually, it's you get a 10 by 10 space for outdoor markets. Yeah, three by three meters. Yeah. Indoor markets are usually about the same. Sometimes they'll provide you with a table. Sometimes you won't. So those are like good things to know before you go. Like, do I even have to take a table? The one event I went to, they provided tents too. So I didn't even need my tent. Yeah, no, it's a really interesting thought as well that if you're getting a 10 by 10 or three meter by three meter space, mm. remember that you are paying for that as a cube space, not just as the flat space at the bottom. So you, you've got three meters high as well, if not right the way up to the pitch of the tent. And they won't, you know, as long as nothing's tall and is dangerous and is going to hurt anyone, they won't quibble that. So if you've got a tent frame that is strong enough to support you hanging a spider plant from some of it down that's not going to be in the way of tall people walking into it or, you know, decorative things that aren't clutter, but add and enhance what you're doing or, you know, as exactly as you've said, Heidi, you you know, you've got shelving units that are built up, so it's not all just a table that's sat at waist high. I'm currently working on a portable sort of fold out, fold up uh, kitchen island unit. So that's that's closer to being like bar height so that my stuff's already elevated up to that. But it also gives me storage solution underneath it. There are many ways that you can play around with varying heights and everything and not just having stuff led down. Think a lot more about kind of the favorite ones that you've been to there was one lady who used to come and uh stand next to us at one of the markets we went to she was called the tweed boutique and everything she made was sort of like by hand hand you know or machine sewn and it was tweed and pheasant feathers and all this kind of stuff but everything was british so one of the first things she did was she had a really large union jack rug that she laid out so it was like come in, come into the boutique, even though sometimes she didn't even put the, the tent up. Mm. She kind of like had the, the, the stands around this rug that was this boutique of come in, you know, everything's made in the UK. And like she had a, a movable rack with like clothing on it, on coat hangers and all this kind of stuff. So it was like going into a clothes shop boutique type feel. I think one month she brought a, a comfy leather armchair and all this kind of stuff. You know, it was like mm. it was different. It stood out, but it was also familiar. You go slightly different with this, don't you, Raz, with your cubes? Yeah, I think I mentioned it before, but new of this year for me is that I built a custom booth system, kind of. Mm. It's modular, it's all kinds of roughly 60 by 60 and 80 centimeter tall boxes that I link together and I build my counter basically out of that and I display everything on top of it. Also, sort of going with my style of things, which is fairly rustic, I have a lot of old wooden crates that I carry my stuff in and that I then use to prop things up and get a bit of that verticality to everything. Yeah. And I feel like that's helped me a lot. Also because like old wooden boxes are really cool and have fantastic texture to them. 
They do. And it's just super nice. And also, like, the, in my case, usually that extra bit of sturdiness helps a lot if I'm packing a wooden crate full of steel. It turns heavy. Yeah, so that's a very important thing as well is you can design your thing as much as you like at home, but you've got to remember you've got to transport that. Yep. And there's a good chance you've got to move it all on your own. Yep. So tables most likely need to be foldable all of that kind of stuff you need to be able to pack it down in a smaller space and as lightweight as possible so that's easy for you to move so what i did that was accidentally brilliant is that all of my booths i can pack down and into the space of one of those cubes nice mostly by luck absolutely by luck (laughs) (laughs) don't admit to that Raz. and it is a squeeze to get the last like top plate shoved in between all the other ones but it works. And it's like, now it doesn't take all that much room. Now I know how much place in the car that takes, and I can plan how much stuff I can bring around it. Excellent. But that also goes to, which I don't think you mentioned that much earlier, is that when you are like setting things up and test running it, actually make out a plan of where things are going, especially if you're getting help. Yeah. So And then label your box and say like, this is the box of hard hooks. Here are the S hooks. This is nails. And have like, even if it's just on your phone, just have a rough layout of saying like, in this area, you have that and here, 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 here going around. And then suddenly they don't need to stop you and ask you questions all the time while you're setting up. Yeah. I would also say as well, make sure that you have one box that is either different or painted a completely different color to all the others. And that's the box that has your card reader, has your, yes. you know, all of the important stuff that you really, really need to make sure you've got. It is differentiated enough from the others. And have extras, I mean, have everything you need for the market that is crucial, have that in that box. Yeah. Whether that is packaging tape or if that is just extra pencils. Yeah. Or if it's a power bank so you can keep everything charged and just like, yeah, bring charging cables. Yeah, business cards, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Have spares of it and just have it in that special box. Also, all you need to do is grab the box and go. Yeah. And you don't need to double check it. You don't need to pack that special box every single time. No, because that's the one where everything stays in that box unless you're charging the stuff up. That is where it lives. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys, I think we've covered a huge amount and we are we're slightly overrunning from our normal time. And uh, I'm sure we've... Do, do we have a normal time? Uh, well, you know, we try and stick to an hour and we're about an hour 20 now. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so uh, anything we've missed, I'm sure will be covered in future episodes. This is a huge topic, um, but hopefully you've all found this very helpful. So before we, we kind of start talking about where you can find us, as we ask every time, and we'll start with you, Rasmus, what's the one thing you've done uh, since we last spoke that is... Uh, pushing your business forward towards its overall goal? I have planned out two separate events I'll be hosting in my new forge to basically want to get other smiths in there and sort of show the fact that this is something you can do and also for the local community to make them see what I'm doing. That sounds fun. First one is actually going to be forging log dogs for Ukraine that they use to build trenches. Nice which they need hundreds of. So I hope you get a lot of those done. And the other one is basically just opening, having a weekend open forge with sort of the boutique corner kind of nicely displayed. We'll see how that goes, but. Lovely. Heidi, what about you? Sure, I focused on Halloween this last couple of weeks. 
I threw a ton of Halloween mugs and started my marketing phase for that. Okay. And can we just confirm what month we're in at the moment? We're in at the end of August. <laughs> um, there we go. Just just for people to put into perspective when, when you should start planning for- I live in America. <laughs> we plan everything four months in advance. <laughs> No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying this as a positive, Heidi. I'm like, like this, this. You need to be thinking about that. Um, you know that whole kind of thing. You know, I'm, I'm trying to prep Christmas stock at the moment. I've sold a lot of what I've prepped for Halloween already. <laughs> Which is, I live in America. Halloween is yeah. all year round here. It's more important than Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I did a bunch of things that I normally do. And then I also experimented. This is like my opportunity to play in my studio versus, you know, doing batch work for everybody else. But I also am onboarding a couple of new shops at the moment. So that's uh, exciting. And I finally got around to updating my online store uh, <laughs> with everything that I should have had uploaded over the summer, but was lazy. Okay. <laughs> In the way that I can be lazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, won't, we won't dwell on that one. <laughs> okay. Well, I um I can't remember if one of them I've spoken about previously, but I did two different things. Uh, one of them is I I uh, did some th three days worth of uh, training with some woodturning masters in the UK. Uh, which sounds a lot more Jedi or ninja than it actually was. <laughs> but that has given me a lot more confidence in using certain types of tool, which will be more efficient in the long run and less scary to use. And the second one was that uh, I finally went ahead and made some kitchen utensils, so some spatulas. I can't remember if I mentioned that last time or not. But rather than everything being round, so um, made some things for stirrers and things like that, which tend to be lower budget um, and adds different shapes and, and variety to the, the content of the stand. Okay, so then, if you want to reach us as a collective, you can find us at Setting Up Shop, S-H-O-P-P-E, on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, our email address is info at settingupshop.com and we do still have a website whether or not you can see it live or not is another question. I'm still wrestling with that for the moment. Hopefully, by the time you hear this, it will all be live and everything else. As private individuals, you can find me on Instagram at Bevelwood UK. And you can find Heidi at Whitehall underscore pottery. Yeah, I must remember that one. And then Rasmus is at Rasmus Steensgaard, or at Rasmus Lowen is actually what his uh, his individual thing is there. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for chatting again, guys. And uh, we'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.